Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Hey everybody, I'm James Kleiman, the Managing Editor here at Housing Wire, and I am joined by Sarah Wheeler, the Editor-in-Chief, live from Kansas City. She's been covering the Sitzer Burnett Fire Broker Commission lawsuit trial, and the verdict is in, so we're going to get down to it. Uh, the scariest Halloween ever for the industry, Sarah? What do you think? Absolutely. Shocking from my perspective, and I think from the defendant's perspective, a shocking outcome this morning. So tell us what was the outcome? What happened? Yeah. So, um, you know, in this, in this giant class action lawsuit, the jury found for the plaintiffs. So, um, you know, they're charged there. They uh, put in a damages of what 1.78, lots of numbers after that billion dollars, um, for, you know, national association of, of realtors for Keller Williams, for um, Home Services of America, BHH, I mean, uh, they, they found all of the defendants listed, um, you know, were liable for a conspiracy. And, and more to the point, the uh, the damages are going to treble, right? So that $1.78 billion is actually going to be $5.36 billion. Now, this is just what the jury ruling came in as uh, the judge has, the court, the court system has the ability to reduce these damages. And, and we see this all the time in, in large class action lawsuits that, you know, you see a massive number. And then when it all finally winds its way through the court, it's like one fourth of that or, or, or even smaller, right? So that happens all the time. I don't want people to assume that the NAR and the brokerages are actually definitively going to be on the hook for $5.36 billion. It is very likely to be much less. And this, this case is probably going to be appealed. We know that the defendants have already said we intend to appeal and, uh, you know, that this case is probably going to last a couple of years. I agree with you. So I talked to Timothy Ray, the lead attorney for Keller Williams, shortly after the verdict was announced. And he said exactly that. He said that, you know, he was shocked, disappointed with the results and that they were going to explore all of the appellate options and then consider what to do next. I mean, they would there, there's really no downside for them to go ahead and and, and see if they can appeal. Well, well, there is in, in a way. Now, as I understand it, the defendants in this case, if they are going to appeal they do need to post a bond. They they oh. they need to have enough liquidity. They need to have the cash on hand um, to to fight the ruling. And given the potential trouble damages, it's going to be a pretty fat number. So, uh, you know, I, I know that Killer Williams is a private company. We don't know what their finances look like, uh, but we've been covering brokerage earnings calls in the industry for quite some time. None of them in this market climate are doing fantastically. And in the other case that that has already settled, uh, called the Moral case uh, up in Illinois, we know that anywhere and Remax settled for I believe it was eighty four million dollars and fifty five million dollars respectively. And the plaintiff's attorney in that case made a point of noting this is what we could extract. We would have gotten a bigger number if they had more money. They they don't have billions of dollars. This isn't you know uh, a business that is extremely well capitalized at this point, individually on the broker's level, right? So no, the NAR does have money. They've got, I think it's about a billion dollars, right? But that's 
that's still yet to be determined how this money would be divvied up, uh, what kind of responsibility they might have if a judge does decide that uh, they do have to pay, right? And, and I think the bigger piece of this, so the jury has already had its say. They've already decided that the plaintiffs did enough to prove that there was a conspiracy. Having been in the courtroom, I didn't personally feel uh, that they had met that standard. I was surprised to hear that the jury did find in favor of the plaintiffs. However, the major thing to think about now is what's called injunctive relief. And this is essentially where the judge says this rule that violates antitrust provisions, it violates the Sherman Act, it is going to be rewritten in some fashion, right? You cannot have a rule that, um, you know, and use the vehicle of a trade association to commit uh, violations of antitrust. But we don't know how strong that injunction is going to be. What the judge could do is say, I'm effectively going to wipe out the cooperative compensation rule entirely, which would in effect mean that seller's agents would not be able to compensate buyer agents. You could not have on the MLS uh, a system where buyer agents are getting compensated even to the other broker, right? Instead of the agent to agent, you couldn't do that. And so this this is the big thing to think about now going forward. It's huge. And it's the thing that like you, so I've been reading your coverage. You were here at the trial last week and and heard a lot of good arguments. I heard the closing arguments yesterday from um, the plaintiff's attorney, Ketchmark, and from the various defendant attorneys. And I will tell you that I I was surprised because what what they kept coming back to, which I think is interesting, is like, um, how do you have a conspiracy if those people, if number one, a whole bunch of people they talked to weren't aware of the rule, um, aren't members of NAR, um, don't, you know, don't have anything to do with NAR really, like they they weren't, um, they're not affiliated in that way. And they, you know, they never met. And so that's, that's one thing that... Um, uh, the Keller Williams attorney uh, mentioned when I talked to him, he was like, you know, it, it's it's hard to understand because the just the lack of any agreement between us and NAR or between us and the defendants. And, and they brought that up all day yesterday, right? And, and now they do is, benefit from the arrangement. Sure. They all right. individually, you know, everyone down the line, right? So the sell side, I think in many respects, benefits from having a, a ready available pool of perspective buyer agents that are incentivized to find a client for that home, right? The buyer agent obviously is incentivized if they know ahead of time what the compensation will be if they end up, uh, you know, having the winning bid. And then the brokerages obviously make money off the commissions. So they are also incentivized. But this practice predates the rule, the NAR rule, which was put in place in 1996. And, And this has been the way real estate agents have been transacting in America for well over a hundred years. This is not something that the NAR came up with, you know, in, in 1996, because this was suddenly an efficient marketplace that they identified. This is a marketplace that was created because of the practice. That's and the so rules followed. That's so true. That and, crazy. you know, uh, the NAR attorney brought that up yesterday. He was like, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to see how this is a conspiracy when this practice you know, not get away from the rule. He really wanted to to say this practice, not the rule, has been in place for so long. And many of the 
um, different companies were like, we weren't even around when this rule was put in place. How are we part of the conspiracy? Whereas Catchmark, you know, argued that, you know, under the law, the conspiracy you can, can be joined at any time. Um, but, you know, and, and Ketchmark, who's the plaintiff's attorney, said, you know, when we think of a conspiracy, you think, oh, they're meeting in this smoky room, this smoky back room, and they're doing, he said, it sure. doesn't have to be like that. But it is hard to understand if, you know, uh, you're allowed to to uh, tell your own people what what to do. It was it was the fact that, you know, and, and the defense were really clear about the fact that they did not, they, they hadn't uh, done the price fixing at, from their perspective, right? Um, mm. That there was no price fixing. I think one of the things that really came up a lot was the KW family reunions, which um, yeah. is sad to me because, you know, so they had competitors in the room, which they see, or they said they see as recruits, right? They're trying to recruit those agents. They're like, show them what they a family are. reunion looks like, come over Keller Williams. But, you know, it, it would be interesting to know if the jury found that, if that's one of the things that they they thought about. Um, they did not want to be talked to anybody afterwards, the jury told the judge. So I don't think we'll know what it was that really swayed them. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, we come at it from the perspective of people who engage in this kind of work day in and day out. We talk to agents, we talk to brokers, we talk to loan officers and mortgage executives and policymakers. And so we're, we're kind of not of the industry, but we, we are scribes, if you will, of the industry. And so when I process this information, I think reflexively, these are individuals and companies that are working in their own economic best interest in a system that has long been established that does not mean it is a conspiracy, but it's also true that they have obliquely or otherwise suggested to all of the agents that hang their license at that firm that 6% is a commission worth seeking. And and they make it very clear in a lot of statements uh, through emails and other communications that were presented as evidence in the case that they want agents to be negotiating for better commissions. Now that benefits them. They do not explicitly tell agents what they should be negotiating um, and I've never seen any evidence to suggest that they do, but it seems like it's a point of inference, right? You are saying, oh, you know, like you should stand up for yourself. You should tell the, uh, the client that you have all this value that you're providing. And, and, um, and here's how I did it when I was an agent. I'm not telling you that now as the owner of this brokerage that also mandates that you are a member of the NAR and of this local association because we require that everyone needs MLS access. I mean, that's another big component of this that we haven't touched on is these brokerages are really being named as defendants because they needed them to be members of the MLS. And they have made it very clear that you cannot do business as a real estate agent in America if you are not a member of the MLS. And the MLS is the the various MLSs, there are 500 or so um, that that sort of enforce these rules. They are the ones that are determining whether the cooperative compensation rules are followed, are in place. I think this could be a major moment for the MLSs as well. There are going to be some changes, certainly. I absolutely think so. They talked a lot about MLSs yesterday, but I don't know. Um, and maybe when you were there um, last week, when you were here last week, they they laid that out more for the jury, what that means. But um, it, it didn't seem super clear yesterday. Really. They mentioned it. I, I mean, they said the what they care. were, 
But, you know, I mean, if you're not in the industry, you're like, I, I doubt they know there was 500. I mean, you know what I mean? There were a lot of facts thrown at them, but I'm just not sure that they they got that connection. But I wanted to talk to the point where you were talking about 6% commission rates because it was the the only problem here is the is the split in commissions. Like, uh, you know, many people testified that you're still going to have 6% rates. Uh, the listing agent's just going to take it all. He's just not going to share it. Um, so I thought that was interesting. In the worst case scenario for the industry, the judge decides that the home seller and their agent can no longer compensate the buy side broker slash agent. And that would in effect re- require a home buyer to pay that money out of pocket. We already know that affordability is at probably its worst, most difficult moment in living memory, right? I mean, even way worse than, you know, the, the 08 crash. Um, maybe you could go back to 1980, 1981 when rates were around 19%. That might be the last time. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this will until we see the what the injunctive relief looks like, we won't know exactly how the splits will then be kind of broken up, right? So, if consumers are aware that they no longer have to pay six percent because they don't have to compensate the buyer side agent, maybe they also think maybe I don't need to give three percent either, right? I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to know what's going to happen, right? So part of this is just that there's. Um, there's so much uncertainty. So I did want to say that yesterday, um, the defendant's agent, so the Jen Davis, the vice president of KW uh, Maps Coaching or Keller Williams Map, Maps Coaching, was a uh, witness that they added to the list. And and she was up there and her, I think her main job was to talk about the value of the buy side agent. Uh, you know, what value are they bringing for this money that they're getting? And I think she did a a, a good job, but I do think that there was, uh, I, I thought there was more they could do there. And one of the things that they said to Catchmark, the the defendant's attorneys was like, well, why didn't you bring more agents? And he, and you know, in his very last closing, he's like, you guys are the ones with all the agents. Why didn't you bring more agents? And I just thought it was interesting because she, she definitely explained some of the, the things, you know, the benefits of having a buy side agent. But I was like, you know, you could have gotten homeowners that said, here's how my buy side agent saved me this or, you know, and she brought up the fact that, you know, inspections and and negotiating, getting things, um, uh, you know, fixed and things like that. But I talked to an agent who is at the trial. He's a Kansas City agent. He's been here for like 30 years and he specializes in first time homebuyers and you know, uh, different down payment assistance programs and things like that. And he was like, you know, I felt like someone like him would be a great witness because he talked about like, without somebody like him, there's a lot of people who just won't, they don't have the know-how to, how to get into these homes, how to take advantage of these programs. And as he said, he was like, then they're at the mercy of the listing agent who has all the, you know, who doesn't have their best interest in mind that that listing agent has a fiduciary responsibility to the seller, mm-hmm. not to the buyer. Yep. So how does that work? And, and I don't think you want to get into a scenario where you see a lot more dual agency. Dual agency is, is a very slippery slope and that is not your fiduciary, right? You are, you are there because you're saving money because you don't want to pay an extra couple percent. And, and you know, given where we are with rates and, and uh, home prices, like I understand if people make that decision. Uh, I, I still believe personally, professionally, that it is good for a buyer to have representation. I also believe that there are way too many marginal agents that don't know what they're doing, that are not able to navigate an environment as difficult as the one we're in 
right now. And I think almost regardless of, of how strong the injunction is, we are going to see changes that are going to negatively impact the uh, number of real estate agents that are able to do this, you know, and want to keep their license, want to pay the fees associated with that. So we're, we're probably going to see a decrease in, uh, you know, we, we don't know exactly when injunctive relief will come on this case, but there's another case coming in Chicago in a couple months. And then we also have the, the specter of the DOJ, which is very interested in both of these cases. And I, I think what will probably happen is if the DOJ sees a strong injunctive relief in this case, in other words, the judge says, we're going to rip up cooperative compensation, you know, every buyer is on their own, then the DOJ will probably step back and just allow that law to take place. But then who's going to come save it? Is it going to be the legislature? Is it going to be Congress can't can't even agree on on anything, right? That's definitely uh, a, a major challenge here. Just institutionally, you don't have the ability to fix this for the industry. And so then it's about self-regulation, right? Well, to me, it's like, okay, if if one of the problems that you and I see is like, and and I think everyone in the industry would see is like, we need more professionalization or, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the system who, who really do one or two deals a year. They're kind of like hobbyist or whatever. It's like, well, guess how you do that through an association, a professional association like NAR, right? Which is what a lot of people say who like NAR um, or other, or their low regional or whatever it is, is that because they want to be with other professionals and learn from them and really, you know, be with people who have the same, um, you know, goals and, and there are professionals. And so I do think that's interesting. The other thing is that, that I find very um, surprising was, you know, you think about a class action and the class action lawsuits I think of are, are when there's real harm done to people like injury, bodily injury or death or like these long-term consequences. And in this case, it was that these plaintiffs paid, you know, um, I think one of the plaintiffs paid, you know, a lot of money to the buy side agent. Like it, it, um, took up a lot of her mortgage for, for several years and things like that. But it's like, but they showed her transactions over the years and she's had all these transactions where she was also the buyer and benefited from the same rule. Right. So now, now the major question will be on appeal, whether that is taken into account. And I know that the NAR and the corporate defendants floated, you know, alternate, um, ways of, of uh, calculating damages, because again, as, as you correctly stated, Sarah, there are people who have benefited from being on both sides of the deal. Should they be compensated only as a seller, but not, you know, should, should then the, the person who, uh, you know, they bought from on the other side end up getting compensated by them, right? Like it, it ends up being a, a very difficult, um, way to calculate anything because you have to go back so far. The other thing I think is worth mentioning here is to me, the biggest loser in all of this, and maybe the biggest miscalculation is that of the NAR. The NAR probably could have settled this case if they wanted what they've done now by, by losing this case to a jury is one, they've lost a lot of leverage in any potential settlements in the other case, which by the way, is much bigger than this one. And when you look at all three of the commission lawsuits, Collectively, it only covers about 40% of home transactions. And so if you consider this case, what about five-ish billion, right? And then you consider the no-select case, 
which is separate. The NAR is not named on that case up in Boston. But then the big one, the moral case in Illinois, they could be potentially looking at unfathomable damages. And I wonder if maybe the NAR took a calculated gamble thinking James and Sarah thought we had a, you know, we had a really good case. A lot of people who who are in the industry thought we had a really good case. It's you have to really squint to make a definitive determination that there is a conspiracy. We feel pretty good. We want to defend these practices. And maybe there was a little too much hubris because they don't know, you know, seven jurors, eight jurors from Missouri who don't, you know, respond as well to some of the arguments or the style in which some of those arguments were made. I couldn't help notice that the plaintiff's attorney, Michael Ketchmark, seemed to me, and I'm not a body language reading expert or anything like that, they seemed to be more engaged when he was up and he was speaking. They seemed, again, just my own perspective on this, they seemed more interested they did not seem as interested when the NAR's attorney was speaking. They did not, you know, seem as receptive to his arguments, even if I think by way of law, he made some really compelling points. And I, I'm sure that he's an exceptional attorney and, you know, is really the top of his field. He's at, you know, a huge white shoe law firm. He's one of the top antitrust attorneys in the country, but maybe he wasn't the right guy for this jury. I think that is a really interesting point. So you and I both sat in that courtroom and saw the jurors and, you know, talked about the fact that this is taking place in the Midwest, that these are, you know, uh, Midwest people and and no judgment there. I, I've lived in Kansas. I've, I, I claim it myself. Um, but I do think that Ketchmark definitely positioned this like several times yesterday. He was like, you know, talked about the the fact that like, think about, you know, this isn't, you're giving a refund and who are you giving a refund to? You're, you know, imagine the, the, the couple, you know, walking down their farm road to the, to the mailbox and they're going to open it up and there's going to be the refund check for, you know, for something that they shouldn't have, you know, they should never have had to pay all these kind of things. And, and, I was like, you know, to me, I was just like, what is he talking about? And also, you know, he really wanted to pit it against the big corporations. He said several times, you know, the the uh, titans of these corporations came in here and, um, you know, and testified. And where are they today? You know, why aren't they in the courtroom? I was like, well, <laughs> they've got a lot of stuff going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. But and they and, have lawyers for that, right? Yeah, they have. I mean, their lawyers were there. And also just Not the appointments were, were in, in the courtroom every day either. For what it's worth. Absolutely. And I also thought that, you know, the, the point that some of the defendants attorneys made was that, you know, you're not talking about the corporations getting hit here. You know, you know who you're talking about getting hit eventually is really the agents and agents are local agents are involved in their community. Agents are the mom and pop. They're the ones walking down the farm road too. So who are you really, you know, but I think he did a good job setting it up as like big corporate interests versus, you know, the little guy. And, you know, if you know more about it, you're like, ah, that's not really accurate. Yeah. And I don't mean to frighten anyone who's a real estate agent or in brokerage, but Michael Ketchmark has already filed another lawsuit that targets different brokerages I uh, believe Compass, EXP, United Real Estate. Curiously, Redfin was named as a defendant, even though they're effectively a discount brokerage. So I don't know how that how that quite makes sense. Uh, but but the the other thing is this this has now opened the door to all kinds of copycat lawsuits, and we're only talking about Missouri, right? We're only talking about Illinois, and you know, 
actually quite a few other states that are part of the MLSs over there, but there are plenty of other places in America in which you get an antitrust lawyer. Now they have the playbook, right? They know, and maybe it doesn't play in every jury, but you you have so much more leverage now over the industry. And, and this can be continuing while there are appeals and, and, you know, at the end of the day, this, this process is going to take years to unravel, but there are going to have to be real legitimate points of guidance that are issued in the meantime, mortgage lenders, we've reached out to them. They have no idea what they're going to do. A lot of the brokerages are taking a wait and see approach because they know a lot of them are going to be named anyway. They're not going to, you know, stick their neck out and already comment, but they know that this is a potentially very serious issue. The MLSs have to be uh, in, in, in <laughs> calling up their attorneys frantically right now, trying to get everything figured out uh, because ultimately they're the ones that enforce a lot of these, these rules that have, you know, in effect been, been changed. So they need to figure out something new. It may end up just being that the judge decides that it's going to be a penny that you need to put in as compensation. And then you need a disclaimer that says, you know, you do not have to pay anything more than a penny. Uh, and in the end, the agents just decide that the incentives that have been established by practice, not by rule, still are the most sensible way to do it. And if you want to get a buy side agent to show that listing, you are going to give them some compensation. And if you are a savvy seller, if you've done it, if you have some money, you know that that's the best way to do it. And that will not change whether or not the judge has issued a ruling on this. However, this is going to change the bottom of the market. Absolutely. 100%. These are not people who can afford additional, you know, fees and compensation and they might just take that gamble. So we'll, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Uh, I know the folks at KBW research company believe that this injunction and this whole trial is going to wrap up sometime in this quarter. And then we'll have the moral case right after that. So it's, it's going to be a really, really challenging time for these brokerages to figure out how to navigate this new landscape. And the NAR is already going through an existential crisis. Who knows uh, what their membership looks like when the calendar turns in January? No, I know. I, uh, you know, you could kind of feel the tide change a little bit uh, this morning in the courtroom. It was not clear, you know, both, both sides came in and it, you know, they, it's that tension of like, what's going to happen. And the, you know, the jury came in at nine o'clock and at 1030, there was um, a request made for a certain form. And that form was a, the, the form that had the damages. And so you could kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. And Catchmark seemed to be in a really good mood. And it was a it was a pretty grim table over, you know, the two tables of defendants. But I still thought, and I think they still thought that, well, that doesn't mean, you know, necessarily mean anything, you know, that it but not a great sign though. And and it proved proved to be. It proved to be a disastrous sign. But that was 1030. That's an uh, an hour and a half of them deliberating. So clearly they, they didn't need to do a lot of deliberating. And then, uh, you know, an hour after that, then we, we got word that there was going to be a verdict and that it took him about half an hour. But like, I just, <laughs> I was shocked. I really was. I, I thought, or I thought maybe they would find, they would carve out NAR and leave some of the, you know, some of the 
companies because you think, well, it's NARS rule. Um, or maybe they would, you know, the damage, I thought, okay, when, when they said, yes, it's a conspiracy, I thought, oh, well, they're not going to award damages. They're going to say. So I think to me, the, the people who are hurt are the consumers, the people, you know, home buyers and sellers, who's now the whole system is going to be, who knows what it's going to look like, but um, no one really knows. And there's not really a plan. No. And, and, and that's partly because of the, the way real estate works in America is no one has controlling market share of anything. You know, what is the biggest player across any, you know, subset within real estate? You look at brokerage and you want to talk about the biggest players, EXP, Anywhere, Compass, Carol Williams, et cetera. You know how much market share they have? Very little. None of them have even 10% market share, right? I mean, it's just not, it, it's such a big and localized profession. And then you think about it even on the mortgage side, right? Like mortgage is going to be affected by this. We still have yet to figure out because this is all tied to the injunction, but currently the VA and the FHA programs do not permit a buyer in in many cases, most cases to pay the real estate agent fees. So the existing practice had worked out because right, the seller pays those fees, but now this is going to complicate things for a lot of different people. Now, maybe you work out a deal with the seller where they just pay or, or you know, you pay $5,000 less and they, they offer that as a credit. And so technically you're not paying it. They're paying it. There are ways around it. There are always ways around these things, right? Um, but you're adding a lot more complexity because maybe the lender doesn't want to, you know, include that. The FHFA has yet to, um, you know, establish kind of a way around this if you want to finance paying your buyer agent into the mortgage costs on that side, right? So, you have so many other, uh, everyone is affected downstream. And if you could identify how many consumers are going to benefit from this rule, I, I would, please, like, call me up. I'd be so interested in having that conversation. In the vast majority of cases, they also benefit from the rule that may, may go the way of the dinosaur because they're they're also buying, right? And then they don't pay that cost. So it's crazy to me, but you know who is going to make out like a bandit? Who's going to be very happy? Who's going to sleep real good tonight? The lawyers. All the lawyers. Every the single lawyers. one of the lawyers is going is going to do well, especially Michael Ketchmark. So, um, and his, you know, his parents apparently come to every one of his trials. He only does a trial yeah, every do. one or two some years. Too. Yep, and they were there, and you know, of course, they were you know ecstatic. But um, I think w- the thing that sticks with me that makes the most sense is the um, local real estate agent I was talking to. And he said, you know, what kills me is the fact that, you know, this is all about the sellers and that they have to pay. He said, but how do they have that? How, how do they have that money to, to pay the uh, buyer's agent? It's because the buyer bought their house. Like it's, it's not like this is some cut and dry finance that. Yeah. Right. So I, I just, it's a, it's such an, an interesting case. And I know we will be this whole issue. We're going to be covering for the next couple months or however long it takes um, years, as you said, but couple months on the next, um, the next big trial. But James, thanks so much for being here last week, doing great coverage. Brooklyn Hahn did a great job uh, taking your notes, my notes and, and uh, making stories out of them. And I know we'll talk again soon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the greatest accomplishment across her team is anyone who was able to read my handwritten notes because I failed penmanship <laughs> class three years in a row in elementary into middle school. 
And um, it, it is still probably my greatest failure as a human. So, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So I I took thirty one uh, pages of handwritten notes yesterday, like the the big the big thing, and yeah, by about three. Yeah, the big notepads. By about three quarters of the way through, I last night I was struggling to read my own handwriting. It was rough. So um, because we couldn't take our computers in there, but we'll be keeping everybody updated. We're going to be talking about this a lot. And James, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.